here's a opportunity to get the notes digitally if you would like. Uh, just a note that in the digital document, all the voices are hyperlinked, so you can uh, easily go to the reference that I'm reading. Um, of course, those references, some of them, will be on the screen for you to read. So, um, yeah. If you actually have a sight uh, impairment, like your eyes are getting bad, uh, if you go to the note, you can also blow it up big so you can see the text. So just a little plug there for technology, I guess. The seven bowls of wrath. It's God's wrath being poured out on the earth. I don't like talking about God's wrath, but talking about God's wrath is a necessary thing. But there are a couple things we must know about God's wrath and about us before we even begin. And uh, Linda already mentioned it, that we, may we never forget that everyone deserves the wrath of God. That's just the reality. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Right, But the rest of that verse is, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when we see the wrath of God and we read about the wrath of God, this wrath is not in futility, but in uh, bringing the world into a place of uh, renewal and redemption. So how will we respond to the wrath of God coming? And at times, I think a lot of people's response is to say, that's not right, that's wrong, that's brutal, no good God would do those things, right? And that's because they have the misconception that humanity deserves something more. And yet, humanity doesn't deserve life because we've all messed up. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. Everyone, even the best person in this room, falls short. So how do we respond? We are to respond in receiving God's gift. That's, that's the opportunity for us. And it's the opportunity for us to do every single day. Not that we get saved every day, but we have the opportunity to receive God's good gift of grace to us. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So there'll be temptation to condemn yourself or to condemn others or to look around at the world and see how sideways it is because it has been cursed because of our sin, right? But we can choose to say, wait, but God is walking in this. And many people, though, sadly, will freely choose to refuse it. They'll, cho they'll freely choose to refuse to walk in the reality of what God has bought for them on the cross when he said, it is finished. So Revelation 16.1, let's dive into this text here. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the Old Testament background for the pouring out of God's wrath comes from Leviticus 8.15 and Psalm 79.6. Leviticus 8.15 says, And he killed, talking about the bowl, and Moses took the blood, and with his finger he put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. So here 
we have a picture of the wrath of God being poured out on the earth, right? And Beal says, as the pouring out of sacrificial blood represents the cleansing of the tabernacle from defilement of sin, so the pouring out of the bowls cleanses the earth from the defilement of sin through judgment. Now, that means this judgment is preparing the earth for what? Renewal, right? For the renewal of the earth, the new heaven, the new earth coming together intermingled, right? Revelation 21, right? So this is in preparation. So even though this judgment is horrific and it's bad, it is done for a right thing. Does that make sense? And it is done for just things because these people deserve the wrath of God like all of us do. And we're going to see a phrase, they did not repent. They have a choice all through this. They have a choice. Isn't that amazing? I mean, from the beginning of the tribulation period, uh, the wrath of God is being poured out, right? All the way up to this time, which is in the, towards the end. This is the culmination. This is the, with these bulls, the wrath of God is done. It's finished, right? And so it's building, building up to this point. And all through this time of God's judging uh, humanity through, with humanity, judging humanity through demonic forces, and now he's judging humanity through supernatural means, right? Humanity chooses, many of them choose not to repent, not to give him glory. So today we are given a choice, right? And we need to make that t- choice. For today is the day of salvation. Psalm 79, 6-7 in Precatory Psalm says, Pour out your anger on the nations and do not, who do, that do not know you on the kingdoms that do not call your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste to his habit, habitation. Psalm 79 is an imprecatory psalm against the nations for the bloodshed of Israel. God is one that brings the judgment. When we never forget, that vengeance is the Lord's, and he will repay. In the bowls of wrath, we do not see God acting through human agents or through demonic spirit, spirits. In the bowls of wrath, he is acting through seven angels, and each bowl brings a supernatural result on the earth. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful or malignant and evil uh, sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped it. Two references for the Old Testament background of the plague of boils, this judgment of God. The first would be Exodus 9, 8 through 11, which says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them into the air in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become fine dust of all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out on sores on man and beast throughout the whole land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. 
for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And then Deuteronomy 28, 35, for those who choose not to follow God, this is one of the judgments. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils, of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. In the first bowl, the boils are on who, all who worship the image of the beast and receive the mark. This is the consequence of not worshiping Yahweh, who is true and just. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. This bowl is like the second trumpet of Revelation 8.8. But in that trumpet only affected a third of the sea. This bowl affects the whole sea, becoming like blood, and all living creatures in the sea die. Right? So what is this? The sea in the scripture represents a place of chaos in the Bible. It is the home of Leviathan, the seven-headed beast, which comes from the sea in Revelation 13, 1. So God is judging the domain of Leviathan, as well as the sea where the world trade takes place. Just think of how devastating that would be for the whole sea to go belly up, right? That would affect so many things, right? Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of your saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. The Old Testament background for the third bowl is Exodus 7.17. Uh, and in the Old Testament backgrounds for God's character and his just vengeance is Deuteronomy 32, 4, Psalm 79, 10, and Isaiah 49, 26. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the waters that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The rock is God and his character. The rock, who is God, his work is perfect. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Amen? Amen. Psalm 79.10, why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of all outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before your eyes. God avenging the blood of the saints and the prophets. Isaiah 49, 26 says, I will make you your oppressor eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. In the third bowl, God is also answering the prayers of the saints. Remember back in Revelation 6, 9 through 10, they were praying, how long, right? 
before you avenge all blood. Uh, Revelation 6, 9-10 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had, bo- they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge all blood on those who dwell on the earth? And whose vengeance is it? Is it theirs? It's God's vengeance. It's God's justice. Those who dwell on the earth are getting what they deserve. Here John uses the same Greek word to describe how the lamb is worthy. The same words. uh, Worthy is the lamb or deserving is the lamb. Bill says, just as the lamb is worthy of adoration, so are the enemies of God entirely worthy of the justice they receive. We all deserve the wrath of God. We all deserve it. Yet God, amen, but God, and I love but God, (laughs) but God has given us the gift of salvation. He calls us to repentance. Will we respond to his gift and calling and receive his gift, or will we refuse him and receive what we deserve? This is, uh, this is what lays before every single one of us in our lives. A choice. A choice that God has given us. Revelation 16, 8 through 9, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They, scor- they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent. And give him glory. The Old Testament background for the fourth bowl would be Deuteronomy 4.24, 32.22, Zephaniah 1.18. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Psalm Deuteronomy 32.22 says, For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns through the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. Zephaniah 1.18 says, Neither their silver nor their gold, speaking of the day of the Lord, will be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end, he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Serious, serious stuff. The author of Hebrews takes the reality of God being a consuming fire and calls us to action in Hebrews 12, 18 through actually 29. Hebrews 12:18. Here he's talking about the mountain of God when the Israelites gather around Mount Sinai. And, and so you have that story in, in your mind as I read this and, and go through this trans, uh, transition. For you have not come to what cannot be touched. So you haven't come to Mount, uh, I almost said the wrong mountain, Mount Sinai, which could not be touched. They could not go up to the mountain. A blazing fire, darkness and gloom and a tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of whose words were made, the hearers begged that no father message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it should be stoned. 
Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, church, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteousness made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them from earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, or part of the kingdom of God, and it cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. May we receive Jesus and give God all the glory, worshiping him in reverence and awe. Revelation 16, 10 through 11, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and, the curse, and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The Old Testament background for the fifth bowl is Exodus 10, 22, Zephaniah 1, 17. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. God says, I will bring the distress upon on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. The darkness is just a foreshadowing of that darkness that is coming against those who refuse God's free gift. Matthew 8, 12 speaks of their true end, while the sons of the kingdom, the sons of Satan's kingdom, will be thrown into the utter darkness, into the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. They did not repent. Today is the day of salvation. Will you repent? Will you turn to Jesus? Will you choose Jesus each day? The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and it was, its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. 
for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. The metaphorical interpretation sees this as a continued judgment against the chaos waters, a picture of how the multitudes of Babylon's religious adherents throughout the world become disloyal to Babylon, which is seen in Revelation 17, 16 through 18. And it says, And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute, which is Babylon. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put into their hearts to carry out his purposes by being of one mind and in handing over their loyal, their royal sorry, power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. The immediate context, however, I think lends itself better to the river being dried up, the actual Euphrates River. It flows there from the north down to the south, over 1,700 miles of river flowing. Uh, um, it drying up would be devastating to that whole region uh, for sure. Um, it also would give... Uh, allow the kings of the east to join in the campaign against Yahweh. You have the Middle East, and then you have on the other side of the Euphrates River is really considered the, the east, right? And the kings of the east would be like Pakistan, India, China, right? All these coming together to gather for the great battle of Armageddon. Where do these demons or these frog demons come from? Sorry, I know I'm ruining frogs for all of you. You know, I'm, I love the little acronym uh, for, uh, for uh, frog, uh, for, no, it's not forever, fully, fully reliant on God. So if you like frogs, then you can say, yep, I'm fully reliant on God. But these frogs, these frogs aren't good frogs. You ever, you know, I, one thing I actually like to do, and this is weird now, I don't know if I like it anymore, but... In the spring, you go out and you roll down your windows, and it's like this cacophony of frogs, you know, calling to each other. Um, so, so they're very vocal, right? Um, so where do these uh, frog demons come from? They come from the mouth. So uh, I never have heard anyone speak without a mouth. Now, I've heard some really good ventriloquists who speak without moving their mouth, but they still have a mouth. These frog demons... Uh, Proclaim falsehood with signs and wonders that deceive the whole world into the battle against Yahweh. That's their purpose, and they're gathering them together, right? Um, it's interesting. The Old Testament context would be uh, for the false prophet in that proclamation, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. If a prophet or a dream or dream arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or of the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So don't listen to them, even if they do signs and wonders. Do not listen just because there are signs and wonders. We must follow John's advice in 1 John 4, 1 and test the spirits. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Why are the demons like frogs? I mean, he could have picked anything, right? Well, actually, it goes back to the plagues of Egypt, and the, f- the plagues of Egypt will shine light on this. Uh, in Exodus 8, 2 through 4, it says, The Nile swam with frogs that shall come up into the house and into your bedroom and onto your bed and into the house and on your servants and on your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. I'm fine with frogs outside, but this is getting a little obsessive, right? The frogs shall come upon you and on your people and on all your servants. Well, uh, you see that image there on the right? That is a hieroglyph or a painting uh, hieroglyphic in uh, the Egyptian uh, pyramids, and it is the god Hequet. Uh, and you notice that that god Hequet has the head of a frog, right? Now, the frog plague in Egypt was partly a polemic, an argument uh, a, against Hequet, the goddess of, the, of resurrection, represented by a frog. The, the deceptive activity is appropriately portrayed as a frog-like since the evil triumphant, meaning the beast, the, the false prophet, and <coughs> the dragon all walking together, that's that triumphant, are attempting to deceive people about the purported fact that the beast of the beast resurrection. Remember, he received a wound and, and was raised, so they're using th- this god of resurrection um, to try to convince people of that. The deception of the enemy should not catch us off guard. It's going on even today, right? Not this scene, obviously, but it is going on today. For Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. God has offered us all a free gift of salvation. Will we receive it and live in relationship with him, or will we refuse him and perish? I pray that we receive it. Now, the text is interrupted here in verse 15. The narrative is interrupted, and it says, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may go about naked and be seen, not go about naked and be seen exposed. So there's a couple things here. Um, we have the image of the world uh, going after Babylon and, and as, as a, a prostitute. They're prostituting themselves to, these, to the, this one, this Babylon God, right? And, and against what God has designed would be to be covenantal, faithful to him. And so there is uh, this idea of if you're chasing after gods and sleeping with other gods, then when you come back, you're going to be like naked and exposed. Does that make sense? So there's that uh, imagery there that's going on with this. Um, but he says, I'm coming like a thief. And then he speaks out a blessing for the one that is ready. So here we have Jesus interrupting the narrative with the message of, it's, it doesn't sound so encouraging on the face, but it is. And the judgment of believers. It calls us back to Revelation 3.1 and then 
also 4 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, and Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Remember then, it says in Revelation 3, 3, what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I come against you. However, for believers, he does not come like a thief because we've remembered what we've heard, we're keeping it, we're repenting and walking in relationship with God. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, Paul says, Now concerning the times and season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Well, Paul, I do, and I wish you would have written more, but um, we're going to move on from there. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But, now this is important. A lot of times people don't keep reading, and this is an important part of this whole passage. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on, now we're putting on clothes. And interesting, right? Let us put on breast, the breastplate of faith and love, for the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but has obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Continuing in the idea of clothing, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here we are reminded of Christ's work, which has prepared us for the day of the Lord. So it's not something to be feared. I know a lot of people are scared of the tribulation, the, the scared of the day of the Lord coming. And it's not, if you know Jesus, it's not something to be afraid about. But it's to be anticipated, for it is the final step in the redemption of all things. It is that step of the completion of the work of Christ and the ushering in of the new heaven and new earth, which with we will live with God, managing and ruling with him for eternity. Those who believe won't be caught off guard, for we have put on Christ and rest in his work on the cross. We are blessed. Receive the blessing, excuse me, receive the blessing of Christ. Revelation 16, 16 says, and they assembled them at the place in Hebrew, that in Hebrew is called Armageddon or Armageddon. The gathering place is Armageddon. This breaks into two words in Hebrew, ha and megiddo. Okay, it's a transliteration. 
meaning they just took the Hebrew word and transliterated it into the Greek, and then the Greek, the writers took the Greek and transliterated it into English. So we just have this word Armageddon. Har, which is that first part of the word in Hebrew, means mount or hill country, okay? Uh, Megiddo is the name for a city and a plain in the south end of the Jezreel Valley. Okay, so you tracking with me? The city sits on a hill protecting the route to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, in this valley, the Jezreel Valley, there's been many battles fought. Okay, and this city protected the road that we would go to the sea and then come up and attack Jerusalem. There is no records of mountains or hill country named Megiddo anywhere. So the location is not 100% certain. But many scholars think that Armageddon is the city of Megiddo and that the armies of the world are gathering here in the Jezreel Valley to attack Jerusalem. Okay? The battle of Armageddon doesn't take place here. It takes place at Jerusalem. Remember, this is a gathering. They're gathering them here. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Hallelujah. <laughs> and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on the people, and they cursed God for the plague of hell because the plague was so severe. The seventh and final bowl is poured out on the air as a judgment against the spiritual forces of evil. Paul reminds us of these forces being presented, represented by the air in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the, mi and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy saved us, right? That's what that, that, if you keep reading, but I don't have time to read that whole passage today. In Revelation 16, 8 through 20, we see a great earthquake that judges Babylon and all the cities of the world. It is so severe that it rearranges Earth's topography. It reminds me of God's first judgment of the, of the world, Noah's flood which totally arranged the, the geography, which it actually made the earth look like it is today. The metaphorical interpretation is that the world system is destroyed in the last judgment. So they're just saying the, the world system is destroyed. There's not really an earthquake. 
Um, I do think an earthquake of that magnitude would destroy any world system, right? Revelation 16, 21 is the last event of the seventh bowl. It describes hailstones of about 100 pounds falling on the people. The Old Testament background for this kind of judgment comes from Exodus 9.24 and Ezekiel 13.14. Exodus 9.24 says there was a hell and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hell, very heavy, heavy hell, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And then in Ezekiel 13, which is a, a judgment upon false prophets, God says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. So the response is not repentance, but to double down. They choose to curse God for his judgment. They don't choose to repent. Everyone has a choice to receive or receive, receive or refuse God's free gift. And in so many ways we have that we've made that choice and we're believers and that gift is there and we're saved and we're destined for eternity. But as we go through our day, we still have a choice, right? We still have a choice to let that gift, the, the reality of the gospel, touch our day-to-day -day lives. So that choice is there. It's not a choice of salvation at that point. It's a choice of quality of life. Right? I can choose to be miserable all day, or I can choose to focus on Jesus all day and what he's done and how he's working my problems out for my good, for, my good, for his glory, and my good in eternity. That, that's the perspective that we fight for, Right? That's the choice we have to make. In Revelation 16, 17, we have a, a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. That loud voice is, I believe, Jesus saying, it is done. And this brings us back to Revelation 15, 1, where it says, with them, the, the bulls of wrath, the wrath of God is finished. And this then draws my attention, our attention to John 19.30 with Jesus hanging on the cross, having taken on the whole wrath of God, all the punishment for you and for me, he says, it is finished. It is done. It is finished. He took all of God's wrath. So we might have the opportunity to be children of God rather than children of wrath. What a privilege. What an awesome opportunity. Church, today is the day of salvation where we refuse his, receive or refuse his gift of salvation. If you know the Lord, if you've received it, will you let the gospel touch every part of your life, willing and ready to share the hope of Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, we just come before you. We thank you that you are just and true and that you've made provision for each of us.
and that you've made provision to redeem all here and now, uh, to walk it for good, and we, we claim that, we own that. Lord, if there's anybody here who has not received you, Lord, I pray that you would walk in their hearts and they would not refuse you who's speaking from heaven, but that, that they would receive the good news that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, freeing them from sin, freeing them from death, and that they would believe that and be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we 